Sunday mornings that sometimes we forget just to pause in his presence. Yes, yes. I think we get so stuck in the clockwork of an, of an itinerary of what church is supposed to be like that when a song goes over what we think it should, too many verses, we get bored and we kind of just zone out. Yep. But man, I'm telling you, if you want to experience heaven on earth, it's here. Yes. <laughs> in heaven, just singing, God, how great you are. God, how great you are. My God, one day to see him with unveiled eyes, with everything removed that could hold us back from seeing him as he truly is. Imagine how much greater that song will be. God, how great you are when we can yes. see him in his fullness, yes. in his glory, his full glory that human eyes cannot behold. Yes. God, let it be far beyond us to ever miss a moment just to sit in your presence to not be a church that goes through an, an order of service, but a church that would just follow your guidance. Yes. The guidance of the Holy Spirit. If you say wait, we wait. If you say go, we go. If you say pause, we pause. Who in here can testify that God is great? Yes. yes. Who in here can testify that he, he as your father has guided you and loved you and shown you a kindness you never knew before him? Father God, we honor you on Father's Day as the greatest example of a father. And Father, I just pray that every man in here who is an earthly father would model his life after the attributes we can so clearly see in you, Father God, that we would walk in love and grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. How great you are and how humbled we are to be in your mighty presence. We bless you, Father. We thank you for your love that we could never deserve, that we could never earn, but yes, you give so yes. freely and abundantly above yes, all we could you. ever think thank or imagine. You, <laughs> that you see us the way you always meant for us to be. Yes. And you gently guide us in the direction we are meant to go. Holy Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Congregation, as we transition to our next level of worship, our time of giving, you can continue to stand as you get your tithes and offerings ready. Man, if it feels up to me, we would just sit doing that all day long. All day long. Would you please read the passage on the screen with me? But this I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, you may give.
Good morning, Crossroads. How are you this morning? What is today? What? It is. It is. And we get the honor of recognizing and honoring our fathers today. And as you've heard through the worship, through what Pastor Josiah was saying, what Michelle has said, you know, what an awesome time that we have an awesome father. We may not have grown up with a good father here on earth. We may not have had a father in our family here on earth. But God has promised he's going to be with us. He's going to be our father. And you know what? As a father myself, I find out I don't always do things right. Anybody else like that? Yeah, I make mistakes. But you know it's okay because I can learn from that. I can ask for forgiveness, and I can turn to my heavenly father who will never forsake me or leave me, who's always there to guide me and get back on track. So if you're a father today in service, if you'll please stand. And as you're standing, if you'll make your way on up toward the front here, and we'll gather in the front. And as we stand here today, I'm going to offer a prayer over the fathers of our church. Because you know what? If you read the word, the scripture says the father has an awesome responsibility in the family. The father is the head of the family. Now, that doesn't mean he rules like a dictator. That does not mean that he is the one who is going to get all the answers and he has to, you have to listen to everything he says. What it does mean is he is answerable to our Heavenly Father. He has a responsibility to lead his children, to lead his home. He has a responsibility to join with his wife as a helpmate to decide what they're going to do in the family. And it's a lot of responsibility because when it comes down to it, we're going to have to be answerable to what our families did and what our children did. We're responsible for making sure they grow up in the Lord, that we teach them that we follow Christ, that we are accountable, not only to God, but to our families. So what an awesome responsibility. In fact, Scripture says that when it comes to the proper order of the home, it's God first, Father second. I mean, we're right on up there at the top. So to be a father is an awesome responsibility that we need, especially in today's society, to take serious our position as fathers. So I'm going to offer a prayer over us tonight. Father God, I just pray, Lord, I pray as a father, and I pray over the fathers that are standing here and represented here, Father. God, I just pray that you would impart wisdom and strength and knowledge to these fathers, Lord. Father, we're not perfect, Lord, and we know that, Father, but we come to you and we seek your guidance and your will in things, Father. If we've made mistakes in the past, we repent of those mistakes, Lord. And, Father, we ask you to guide us and direct us to become the earthly fathers that you have created us to be, to take up that mantle of a father in our homes and in our communities, Father. Lord, and, Father, that we will be, like you said, a father to the fatherless, Lord. Father, because you have created us, you have ordained us as such, Father. And as always, Lord, we give you all the praise and glory, Father, for you alone are worthy, Lord. And you alone are are deserving of all praise, Father. And I thank you for that. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, we have a gift for our fathers. I think they've already been, oh, oh, they've already been handed out. <laughs> so let's give our fathers a hand. All right, Children's Church. We're getting ready to be dismissed for Children's Church. Thank you. Pastor Serena will meet us back here in the back. So it's time now if the children would... Join for Children's Church.
Happy Father's Day. Let's hear it loud. Happy Father's Day. Can we get excited? Who's, who is thankful for their father? Yeah? Come on, let's hear it for dads. Golly. Y'all got excited for the moms. Come on now. Yo, you wives get some brownie points if that is even a thing. Nobody, okay, never mind. Are, are we online, Miss Cindy? Okay, everyone in-house say good morning to everyone online. One more time. A little bit louder. There we go. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you guys as we celebrate our fathers. Um, Y'all know I'm horrible at themed sermons, so I'm not going to do one. I'm I'm going to spare your ears the tragedy of what that would sound like. And so I'm just going to preach what the Lord has put on my heart to preach. Um, But once again, welcome, everybody. This is week four into our series on Words. This is part three on how we are dealing with how the devil weaponizes words against us. So this is week four, entitled The Accuser. So week four is titled The Accuser. Um, This may be the last week we deal with how the enemy weaponizes words against us. Um, But who who knows where the Holy Spirit's going to lead us? Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Remember to hashtag for social media, hashtag words. Y'all did awesome last week. I think we had like 14 shares on social media. So once again, either right now in this moment, pull up your Facebook app or on your cell phone and share the post, hashtag words. Or when you get home or in your car before you leave today, share it on Facebook. Like I said, you guys did awesome last week. So let's keep that up as we share it and get a little bit of traction of your family and friends seeing what God is doing in this place. One more time, if you would stand with me as we pray before we go into the time of the sermon. I want you to put your hand on your heart today and the other hand in the air ready to receive. So, Father God, in this moment, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you start to soften our hearts. Prepare these hearts to receive, Lord God, because I believe someone's getting set free today. No more bondage in this house. There is freedom reigning in our hearts. So, Father God, I just pray that every word I speak is from you, that everything I decide to do from this pulpit is from you. Because if it's not you, I don't want to say it. If it's not your power, it is not worth it. And so, Father God, in this moment, I just pray that you prepare all of us, even myself, to receive what you have for us today. So, Father, I thank you that you speak to your children, that you love your children, that you guide us so gently. So, Father God, I thank you. I love you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. So the first part we dealt with how the devil weaponizes words was we dealt with the tempter. So we dealt with temptation, how he tempts us away, entices us away from the things of God. Part two, which was last week, we dealt with the deceiver, how he lies to us, how he plants these roots of deceit that hold us back from who we were always meant to be in Christ Jesus. And so today we're dealing with the accuser. And as often as I have said, we must define it in order to defeat it. We must define it in order to defeat it. So let's look at what an accusation is. An accusation is a charge of wrongdoing, imputation of guilt or blame, the act of accusing or state of being accused. Accusations are judging someone guilty for an action they may or may not have committed. Judging someone guilty for an action they may or may not have committed. Now, the interesting thing about the name Satan is the name Satan actually means, it means to oppose, it means to act as an adversary, and it means to accuse. So the name Satan means to oppose, to be an adversary of, and to accuse. So even in his name, Satan, we have an idea of what he is setting out to do. And I want to look at a quick example from the book of Job. We're not going to read deep into it. In the book of Job, it says that the sons of God, the angels of God are coming into his courts to give an account. So they're coming to talk to the father. And it says alongside the son, Satan came with them. So inevitably, at one point in time in history of humankind, Satan was allowed in heaven to accuse, to accuse his children to his very face. And so 
he says, Satan, where have you been? Satan says, I've been walking to and fro across the entire earth. And so God does something that terrifies me. He said, hey, have you seen my son Job? Huh. He's blameless in all his ways. He's righteous in his generation. And so Satan says this. Satan says, but God, he wouldn't be because you've put a hedge of protection around him. You've made him to be prosperous. You've made him to have these amazing things, this amazing family. And so he makes the first accusation. He says, but God, if you were to take away Job's hedge of protection, there's no way Job would follow you. So what is he doing? He's accusing Job of only following God for the prosperity God has allowed him to live in. So the story goes, Satan then goes and he takes away Job's family. He takes away his land. He takes away everything that he owns. And it's just Job and his wife. And so the story says in Job chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, once again, the sons of God come before God and Satan comes alongside them. He asks Satan, Satan, where you been? Satan says, once again, I've been walking to and fro throughout the entire earth. And God brings up Job again. Does that scare anybody that God brings up? Not only did he take Job's family, Job's, Job's job, every, all of his property, God then says, what about my son Job? And Satan says, this time he says, skin for skin. What does that mean? He's saying, take away his health and I guarantee you he will curse you. Take away his health, I guarantee he'll curse you. Why? Because Satan was saying men only care about their lives. They would do anything to keep their life. And so the story goes that God says, okay, Take his health, but spare his life. So Satan goes out and he takes Job's health. And Job has all these nasty sores and he's falling apart. And the fact of the matter is that Job never cursed God. So there's something I need you to understand about the accusations of the enemy. Not every time he accuses you doesn't mean it's the truth. The devil will give false accusations to try to draw you away from God. And so the fact of the matter is not every accusation the devil makes has any grounds of truth in it. So I need us to understand this today because a lot of us continue to walk in that deceit because of accusations that the devil is putting in our minds. And so oftentimes accusations from the devil sound like this. It sounds like bringing up past sins or present sins. Hey, remember last week when you did that. It's accusations of sin. Or remember last week when you thought that. Do you remember what you thought? You are guilty of thinking this. You are guilty of doing this. So oftentimes the accusations are accusations of sin. It oftentimes sounds like your insecurities. God can never use you. You're not talented nor good enough. Accusations of worthlessness. How many of us have dealt with accusations of worthlessness? Not that it was true, but the devil was telling you that this is who you are. You are guilty of being worthless. You are guilty of being useless. How many of us knows the, has, who has been accused by the devil of these things? I think the majority of us. But was that accusation true? No, it was not true. It was simply an accusation. It, it can also sound like a lack of faith. If God called you to do that, you know you wouldn't. Who are you joking? You're not like those other people who follow God faithfully. Oftentimes it's accusations of faithlessness. It's making you believe even if God called you to do it, you wouldn't do it. So there's thoughts going over our heads. We're being accused of being something guilty of something that we never actually stepped into. So at one point in time, the devil was able to go before the Father and say these things. For example, if Pastor Charlie, if the devil wanted to accuse something, Pastor Charlie of something, he could go to the God the Father himself in the heavens and say, have you seen your son Charlie? Did you see what he did? Did you see how he is guilty of this thing? But something amazing happens in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Something amazing happens when Jesus comes on the scene. When Jesus comes on the scene and he dies upon the cross and takes back all victory, it says that the accuser was hurled out of heaven. What does that mean? That means the power of the voice of the accuser was taken away. 
Some of y'all better get excited that his accusations do not stand. It doesn't matter what he said. When Jesus came on the scene, died upon the cross, that it is finished, the accuser, y'all, it said day and night. He stood before God accusing our brothers and sisters in the faith. But when Jesus came on the scene, it says Jesus hurled him down. I don't know about y'all, but that doesn't sound like a wimpy church to me. That sounds like a church of power. He shut Satan up. His voice no longer has authority. It doesn't matter what he says. Jesus has spoken. Man, y'all better get excited today. Accusations only have power in agreement. You better write this down. Accusations only have power in agreement. If you are taken to court, the lawyer, the prosecuting lawyer can say a lot of things about you, but who has the final say? The judge has the final say. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Accusations only have power in agreement. Some of us have been walking in agreement with the devil for far too long. Some of y'all are like, hold up now, Pastor Josiah, what are you talking about? Let me tell you this. Has the devil ever called you worthless? Has the devil ever called you useless? Has he ever brought up your past? And guess what? If your response was, yeah, you know what? You're right, devil. You're walking in agreement with the devil. He only has power over you that you allow him to have. Some of us got to break ties with the devil. I see too many believers living in bondage because we allow the devil to have free reign. Y'all, the devil has an apartment building in a lot of our heads. It's time to evict him. It's time to cut those soul ties. And it's time to stop agreeing with the enemy. Some, oh, I hear a lot of Christians complaining. Oh, I'm living in this. I'm living in that. It's because you are walking in agreement with the devil himself. If he calls you worthless and you live as you're worthless, guess what you're doing? You're living in agreement. If he tells you you can't be used in the ministry and you're not serving anywhere in the ministry, guess what you're doing? You're living in agreement. Man, it's time Christians cut the ties with the devil. He's had rent space in our head for far too long. I'm telling you, somebody's going to be set free today. I'm telling you, the devil only has power that we allow him to have. Accusations only have power in agreement. We're going to look at condemnation versus conviction. Condemnation of the enemy versus conviction from the Holy Spirit. Write that down. Condemnation of the enemy versus conviction from the Holy Spirit. The definition of condemnation, the act of condemning. The, the judicial act of declaring one guilty and dooming them to punishment. There's a very important thing we need to know about condemnation. Condemnation brings guilt, shame, and punishment. Condemnation, living in a place of condemnation, living in a place of guilt 24-7, brings guilt, shame, and punishment. The fact of condemnation is that you are being condemned to an act of punishment, being found guilty for something. And so the goal of the accusations of the enemy is to make you feel and believe you are condemned by God. I need you to hear this. The goal, the end goal of accusations from the enemy is to have you feeling and believing that you are condemned by God. So what does that tell me? The accusations are to make you believe the complete opposite of the Holy Scriptures. Do we hear what I'm saying here today? If he can make you believe God is mad at you, if he can make you believe God can't use you, that you're not good enough, that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to empower you and doesn't want to give you good gifts, he has won. Why? Because you will never live according to the purposes God made you for if you live according to the accusations of the enemy. You can sit in a chair on a Sunday morning every day of your life, but if you allow yourself to live in agreement with the enemy, you will never live according to the purposes that he created you for but before the foundations of the world. This is where it comes living in purpose, living on mission, but the fact of the matter is he's one if he keeps you back for what he called you to be. And this is, the enemy will use past evidence of who you used to be to try and condemn who you are right now in this moment. Need you to hear that. The enemy will use past evidence of who you used to be to try to condemn who you are right now. It's time we tell the devil to shut up, and that man died a long time ago. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, 
All who are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Stop letting the devil use your past to determine your future. You don't live there anymore. That's not who you are anymore. Stop letting him have free reign in your mind. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.20, I'm getting fired up. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Has Christ ever sinned? No. Has Christ ever been found guilty? No. That's the one who lives here now. Stop letting him use the past to determine your future. You don't live there anymore. Stop letting him lie to you. You as a believer are not condemned. The accusations do not stand. Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop letting the devil lie to you. Quote scripture. Quote truth. Romans 8.34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died more than that who raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding on your behalf. Not only are you not accused by him, he's rooting for you. He's talking to the Father about you, pulling up every good thing you can do, leaving the past where it belongs. In the past, that place is dead. So stop letting the devil accuse you of past things that keep you in condemnation. No believer lives in condemnation. You are not condemned. The accusations do not stand. Conviction. To convince someone of the truth. To reprove, to refute, or cross-examine a witness. I need us to know this about conviction. Conviction leads to correction. Conviction leads to correction. As a believer, the Holy Spirit will never condemn you. But he will always convict you. Need you to hear the difference here. As a believer, the Holy Spirit will never condemn you, but He will always convict you. What does that mean? Show you the truth. The Holy Spirit shows us the true nature and plan of sin. He shows us the truth about these things we used to walk in. He shows us the truth about these things to turn us to something far better. He will convict you. He will show you how truly disgusting sin is and the horrible devastation it brings without ever. I need you to hear this. He will show you these things without ever making you live in a place of shame, guilt, or condemnation. Never. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is in love to show you a better path, to show you a better life. His conviction never brings shame. It never brings guilt. So if you're feeling guilt and shame, guess who it's not? It's not the Holy Spirit. Guess who it is? It's Satan. It's about time we learn to differentiate conviction and condemnation. If it puts you in a place of shame and guilt, where you're terrified for anyone to know, where you feel disgusting and nasty, guess who that is not? That is not the Holy Spirit. But if it is showing you a better way, if it is showing you better things, if it is speaking truth, if it is saying you are worth it, you can be used in the kingdom, God wants you, God created you, guess who that is? That's the Holy Spirit. It's time we differentiate because a lot of Christians are living in shame and guilt thinking, oh, the Holy Spirit convicted me. No, the devil is accusing you. Boy. The Holy Spirit will never condemn you. Why? Because he loves you. Condemnation means punishment. There's no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves you. He will gently show you the way. Oftentimes people wonder, Pastor Josiah, why, why can I not hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Why? Because it's usually a whisper. You have to quiet your life to hear it. But the voice of the enemy is loud. It'll scream. It'll get your attention. Why is the enemy so loud? Because he knows the Holy Spirit whispers. The louder the enemy can be in your life, the less you will hear from the Holy Spirit, the less you'll live in freedom, the less you'll live in truth. But the more you listen to the enemy, the more you'll be stuck in bondage, shame, and guilt. Quiet your life to hear. John, 6, John 16, 8 says this, And when he has come, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin. Why? Because he's showing the world a better way. 
1 John 1, 9 tells us this. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a loving, that sounds like a loving Savior right there. And so what's the point of the Holy Spirit convicting you? It's to bring you to a place of repentance. And it says if we confess our sins to him, guess what he is faithful to do? To take it all away. You don't have to live there anymore. He went to prepare a place for you. And so what does that mean? That means when we come to him, Jesus Christ, I confess of my sins. Guess what? You are no longer. You are no longer that person you were two seconds ago. He's faithful. He is faithful to take these things, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God does not condemn anyone while they are living. Jesus says those who are condemned are only those who have not accepted me as their Lord and Savior and have not believed in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God does not condemn anyone. Scripture even says God is holding back the end of time Holding it back. Why? Because he loves the world so much. He is so patient. So patient. He wants no one to perish that he holds back hoping that we will confess our sins to his son and walk in freedom and truth and love. That's our father. That's what conviction brings. Conviction brings freedom. The devil wants you to believe that you are condemned by God. The Holy Spirit convicts so you can know the truth about God. I need you to hear this. The devil wants you to believe that you are condemned by God, that there's a punishment and a judgment waiting for you. The Holy Spirit convicts so you can know the truth about God. His love, his mercy, his grace, his compassion, his forgiveness. The Holy Spirit brings you to that place of truly knowing the Father. Why? Because if you're listening to the enemy, you'll never see the truth about your Heavenly Father. But if you quiet yourself to hear the voice of the Spirit, to to receive his conviction, you will know the Father as he is. The difference is condemnation yanks you away from the Father. Conviction draws you to the Father. The devil says a lot of things about us. And it doesn't even mean they're true. It doesn't even mean they have a basis. He tells us a lot of things about ourselves that we've never done, that we've never walked guilty as. But the fact of the matter is this. Let's look at the verdict from Jesus. Let's look at Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 4. The verdict. Now, this is what we call Christophany, which is where Jesus shows himself in the Old Testament. So when it says the angel of the Lord, capital A, that's Jesus, before they knew him to be who he is. Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 4. I'm about to get excited. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord Jesus. And Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Let's look at verse two. First off, the Lord rebukes Satan. What does that mean? That means when Satan starts to run his mouth, the Lord says, shut up. We get too cute and pretty in church. The Lord says, shut up. Your words do not stand here. And guess what? When God tells you to shut up, guess what you do? You shut up. No more words come out of your mouth when God speaks. And so number one is God rebukes Satan. Y'all better start getting excited here. For those of you who've been accused about a lot of things, the Lord rebukes Satan. Let's look at verse 3. Joshua was found guilty. These were true accusations. The enemy was bringing true accusations before God Almighty. It says he was in filthy garments. What does that mean? That means Joshua, his high priestly robes were covered in filth. And what is that a a symbol of? Sin. Joshua was found guilty. We need to know that. But what does Jesus say to him? (laughs) Jesus said to those who were standing, take off those filthy clothes. Take them off. Get rid of them. They don't belong here. Then he said to y'all, see, I have taken away your sin and I have put fine garments on you. What does that tell me? Jesus has spoken. 
The past does not matter. It doesn't matter what you get caught up in right now. All of those who are found in Christ Jesus are forgiven, freed, and redeemed. Some of y'all better get excited. The accusations do not stand. Jesus has spoken even in your worst moments. Do you understand? Joshua was the high priest of a nation. He was the toppity, tippity, toppity of any religious organization, and he is found in fault. He is found in sin. It says filthy. It doesn't say he had a blemish on his garment. It said he was filthy. That means his robe was covered in sin and dirt and these nasty things of the world. And Jesus said, hold up. No, that does not belong on him. He belongs to me. He said, is this man not a stick? brought out of the fire. How many of us have been caught out of the fire? We were going one direction, but Jesus said, not today. Oh my gosh, where's the Holy Spirit? Come on now. Who knows what it's like to be a stick in the fire? I know what it was like sleeping with girls. I know what it was like doing drugs and drinking. I know what it was like doing everything. But when the Holy Spirit grabbed me, I can hear Jesus saying, was this man not a stick snatched out of the fire? The fact of the matter is you may be guilty. The fact of the matter is those accusations may be true. But at the end of the day, Jesus hurled down the accuser. Now, the only voice that stands is the voice of Jesus. And you know what he speaks over you? He speaks forgiven, Jason. See, he speaks freed. He speaks redeemed. So while these accusations may be hitting us from every side, it doesn't matter. Why? Because Jesus is the judge. And who has the final say? The judge has the final say. Get him. Oh, my goodness. Listen, you know what the judge wants to do today? He wants to evict the enemy out of your mind. The judge has ordered, ordered it, put it in writing. Now the enemy has to be evicted from your mind. If you want prayer, um, this is it right here. If you want prayer, if today you are sick and tired of the temptations... Sick and tired of the deceit and sick and tired of the accusations that just barrage your mind, I want you to come forth for prayer. I'm serious. Someone's getting set free today. Stand up in boldness and come up for prayer. I'm serious. Right now in this moment, we're done. I'm telling you, throw, throw down the gauntlet. Come up here for prayer, brother. We're done with this mess, man. I'm telling you, someone's getting set free today. Temptation no longer has a place in your mind, brother. Deceit no longer has a place in your mind. I'm cutting off the mic. I'm telling you, man. Oh, Lord Jesus. Come on, let's just worship the Lord. My God, my God, how great you are. How great, how great you are. Come on, just worship while they pray. My God, how great you are. How great, how great you are. My God, how great you are, how great, how great you are. My God, how great you are, how great, how great you are. Say hallelujah.
If you're not up here for prayer, just worship the Lord. Let's keep an attitude going on here of worship. He's such an awesome God. He's going to change lives today. You're such an y'all sing that nothing comes close No one compares to our God. Lord, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. You're such an awesome God. Lord, you're so holy.
Come on, just keep worshiping with us. My God, how great you are. 